Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So yesterday I woke up to some news that uh, just wasn't on my radar at all. I don't know if it was on yours or not, but yesterday uh, there was a coronation of the King of England, right? That happened yesterday. Had no idea that it was going to be taking place. Just woke up, opened up Twitter, and saw people were talking about it. And um, I think it wasn't on my radar because, honestly, we haven't cared what they do for the last 247 years, right? You know, and so uh, that was that was happening. And so I turned on the news and, and started watching and followed social media a little bit. I saw this tweet um, yesterday that I wanted to show you because I thought it was thought it was great. Uh, somebody posted this. Uh, that's the new king, right? Uh, Men, what's keeping you from looking like this? And a buddy of mine responded with, he said, George Washington. And I thought, yes, I love that, right? America, that's right. And so, but it's weird because in America, we are obsessed with uh, the royal family, aren't we? I think we're obsessed with it. Um, you know, people follow it and different things just because we don't really understand kings, kingdoms, that whole thing. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Again, 247 years ago, we decided we're not going to have a king. Every four years, we're going to vote in our own incompetence to lead us every, every four years, but we're going to decide ourselves, you know? And so we, you know, we don't really understand uh, the royal family. Um, and so I started just thinking about, like, just the differences um, in uh, Britain, in England, and the United States. Uh, they're two very different places, very different kingdoms. Obviously, America is way, way superior, way better. We believe that. And, and so what are some of the some of the differences between the two kingdoms. Well, first, they drink tea, and we throw that mess in the harbor, right? We, we drink coffee. That's what we, we drink. We don't, we don't drink tea. They play football. We play real football here in America. They speak English, and we speak it better, right? We speak it way better. We've improved the English language. We've added words like ain't and y'all. And uh, we've taken out letters from words that it just shouldn't be there. Like color doesn't need a U, you know what I mean? And favorite doesn't need a U. And so two kingdoms, <laughs> two kingdoms that are very, very different. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about two kingdoms that are very different. Two kings, two kingdoms that are very, very different. We're talking about the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God. That's what we'll see in John chapter 18. Before we look at it, I want us to pray. So if you would, let's pray together. God, just want to pause and ask that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would show us, that you would reveal yourself to us, uh, that you would illuminate this text, show us uh, ways in which we don't measure up. Would you show us a true and better kingdom uh, that you're calling us into this morning? We love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, John chapter 18, start in verse 28 with me. If you were with us last week, we, we talked about the first few verses there of Jesus being arrested in the garden. Now pick up in verse 28. It says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. 
So Pilate came out to them and said, what charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate told them, you take him and judge him according to your laws. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Let's pause there just for a second and set up some context uh, for us and what's happening. Again, the first few verses of chapter 18, we talked about those last week. Jesus is in the garden. He went there intentionally so that Judas would know where to find him, and they come in and arrest him in the garden scene. And, and, and then the mob... Uh, we talked about last week that the mob of people was uh, the, the, the Jewish officials, uh, the, 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 the Jewish temple police, and also probably 600 Roman soldiers coming into the garden to get Jesus. And that group of people takes him to Caiaphas' house, which was the high priest, and then to the Roman governor's house. That's where we're going to focus in this morning. That's where the scene is, is at the Roman governor's house. His name is Pilate. That's who uh, this is. This is the first time we've seen Pilate in the book of, of John. And Pilate, what you need to know about him is he is the official representative for Rome. He's the governor. He's, he's, the, he's the representative of Rome here in Jerusalem. And he's been placed there specifically during Passover week to try and keep an insurrection from happening. He's, he's there to keep this mob of Jewish people from rising up declaring a king and, and, and rising up against Rome. That's why Pilate is there in Jerusalem. And the main accusation or one of the accusations that the people throw out about Jesus as they bring him, it says very early to Pilate's house, to his doorstep, which uh, most commentators say that that was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., somewhere in there. How would you like to have somebody beaten on your door at that hour? But they, they bring him to Pilate's house, and the, the accusation that they're throwing out is that Jesus is claiming to be a king. Luke chapter 23, verse 2. Uh, they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Now, that part would have been particularly interesting or concerning to Pilate. Them saying that Jesus was calling himself a king. Again, that's the only reason he's there, is to keep an insurrection from happening, right? And so then what happens in this text is John is going to zoom in on this conversation that happens between Pilate and Jesus, right? And it's all centered around this idea of, are you a king? And, and the main thing in this text that Jesus is going to show us, show Pilate, is that he is a king, but he's a different kind of king from a different kind of kingdom. See, only John is the only gospel writer that, that highlights this king and kingdom type language. The other synoptic gospels don't, don't use this language. And so that is the main theme of John's writing here in this account, All right? So now let's pick up and let's look at this conversation between Pilate and Jesus in verse 33. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied, your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? And here's the theme verse, the, the thesis verse of this passage, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and I have come into this world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth, said Pilate. All right, and, and so clearly what's happening here, if, that, if verse 36 is the thesis verse, Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not of this world. What he's doing is he's clearly uh, setting up a, a comparison, a contrast between two things, between his kingdom and, and the world. And so I just want us to look at that this morning and break those two things down, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. How are they different? What makes them unique to each other? So first, if you're taking notes, let's look at the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the world is built, what we're gonna see here in the actions of the mob and of Pilate is we're gonna see that the, the kingdom of the world is built on, on aggression and lies, right? Aggression and lies. So, so take a look. I mean, Pilate here, again, he's the governor. He's the, he's the representative of the most powerful force in the world. He represents Rome here. And if you think of what Rome would have been at this time, they, they, they represent uh, aggression for sure. Military power, domination, oppression, that's who Rome is. And so Pilate, the governor, the official, he represents that. He represents military power, aggression, uh, oppression, all of those different things. But Pilate, the man, well, he's, he's just there for selfish reasons. He's just there to advance his political career. He can't stand the Jews. He doesn't like them. In fact, Josephus, he's an extra-biblical writer. His stuff isn't in Scripture, but it's written around the same time. He, he tells several stories um, of, of different things that Pilate was doing that were aggressive towards the Jews, like coming in and setting up statues of Caesar's head on his first day. Like he parades into town and sets these things up, and the Jews obviously don't like that. They're not supposed to have any kind of images other than God, you know, and so they, they push back on Pilate, but he's just constantly doing things like that, going against the Jewish people. He's aggressive towards them. He can't, he can't stand them, and, and the two, the Jews and Pilate, are constantly fighting with one another, all right? And so everything about what Pilate's doing here is selfish. It's political. In fact, one of the other gospel writers talks about how in between verses 38 and 39 in, in John 18, Pilate sends Jesus to Herod's house. And Herod was another official. And Herod was excited because he's been hearing about Jesus. He wanted to meet Jesus. But Herod and Pilate have beef. They don't like each other. And so Pilate sending Jesus to Herod's house kind of mends that relationship between Pilate and Herod, right? And so, like, there's this whole verse that just says, so from that day on, like, they were, they were boys again. It doesn't say it that way. That's my translation. But it kind of mends this relationship between Pilate and Herod. And so everything Pilate does here um, is selfish. It's aggressive. And then you look at the mob. Um, in the mob, we see aggression, they're aggressive, but they're also cowards, right? They're demanding action in verse 28, but it says that they, they refuse to go into Pilate's house. They, they won't go into his house. And John narrates, and he says, if they were uh, to go in there, they would be defiled before the Passover. Here's what's happening with that. Um, they had a law that, that Jewish people could not enter the home of a Gentile um, or they would be defiled. They wouldn't be able to eat the Passover meal and things. The problem with that is that's not an actual Jewish law, 
<laughs> that's not in the Old Test. That's not in the Old Testament scripture law. Um, that's something that they made up, which they did all the time. The Pharisees were constantly just making up new rules for people to have to follow. Mark chapter seven is a perfect example of that, where 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 they're talking about washing their hands before they eat, right? And, and the officials come to Jesus, say, "Hey, why don't you and your disciples wash your hands before you eat?" And Jesus says, "It's not about washing hands. It's not about what's on the outside that makes you unclean. It's what's on the inside." You remember that story? And so it's it, it's this thing that happens a lot. Uh, the Jewish officials make up extra rules for the people to follow, gives them enormous amounts of power because here's these men who speak for God, apparently. They've got a huge uh, portion of Scripture memorized. And so they're, they're saying this is from God. People are going to listen to that. So they have enormous amounts of power. And Jesus in his ministry is constantly pushing back on them for this. Right? He's constantly pushing back. Again, Mark chapter 7, where he says, that's not what that law is about. In fact, that's not even a law that you got to wash your hands before you eat. And so he's constantly pushing back on them, pushing back on their authority. And it's, by the way, one of the main reasons they want him dead. Because he's, he's challenging their authority, challenging their word. And so they're aggressive towards that, but they're cowards. Not only that, they're They're lying. The kingdom of the world is built on aggression and it's built on lies. And, and we see that here. They, they're just hurling fake accusations at Jesus. Mark chapter 15, all of the synoptic gospels and John, they all tell the story of Jesus before Pilate. And Mark, in his account, Mark chapter 15, verse 3 says, the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate questioned him again, saying, aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they're accusing you of. Like they're just hurling accusations at Jesus and Jesus is just standing there quiet and Pilate's actually astounded that he's standing there quiet and says, aren't you going to answer for yourself? But the, at the end of the questioning thing that happens between Pilate and Jesus, Pilate is going to come back out to the crowd and say, I find him innocent. Luke chapter 23, verse 14. After examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with the things you accuse him of. What Pilate's saying is, your accusations are false. You're lying. Like these, these things that you're accusing him of just aren't true. And what you see in the kingdom of the world here is that their aggression and their lies really come from a place of selfishness. In fact, Pilate's gonna say that. Mark chapter 15, verse 10. For he knew all their fa uh, fake accusations was because of envy. They were selfish. They were jealous. They were envious of Jesus. And so they wanted him dead just because they didn't like him, because he challenged their thoughts and their ways and their ideas and their positions. Basically, they're saying, how dare he? Like, doesn't he know who we are? So let's kill him and in exchange, give us Barabbas, the one who is actually starting an insurrection, <laughs> the one who is actually killing people. We'll make a trade. We want Jesus killed because he challenges our, our thoughts and our authority. They were selfish. The kingdom of the world, as we see in their actions, is built on aggression and lies, and it's rooted in selfishness. Basically, it says this, it's all about me, and I'll tear you down if you get in my way. Right? And we still see that today, don't we? Like the kingdom of this world it acts in the exact same way. It's all about me, and I'll tear you down to protect that. Like We face that every single day, and not only do we face it, we also have to fight it in ourselves, don't we? Like we have to fight that same mentality, that same idea that the kingdom of the world has 
or we'll have these same tendencies in our own life. So that's the kingdom of the world. Again, Jesus in verse 36 is making a clear comparison between the kingdom of the world and what's, what's his. So now let's look at the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is vastly different. So if the kingdom of the world is built on aggression and lies and selfishness, well, the kingdom of God is built on peace and truth. Peace and truth. But before we can really get into some of that that's happening here in the text, we need to do a little bit of, little bit of homework, a little, little bit of work here on the kingdom of God. So the Old Testament, um, throughout the Old Testament, it is continually pointing us to a coming king and a coming kingdom. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is maybe the most famous passage where it talks about um, God is, is telling King David that through your line, there's going to be one who comes who's going to sit on the throne for all of eternity, reigning and ruling, right? It's the messianic prophecy of the, of the eternal king, right? So that's happening all throughout the Old Testament. There's a coming king, there's a coming kingdom. Uh, Psalm chapter 103, Psalm chapter 145, on and on. It's, it's all throughout the Old Testament. That's what it's pointing us to. And then the New Testament opens, and enter Jesus. And from the beginning of Jesus' life, from his birth, he's declared king. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king? So from the moment Jesus is born, people are coming in saying, where's the king? We've heard that he's born. We saw the star, and here, here we are. We've come to worship him. John opens his gospel account in John chapter 1 by Jesus being declared a king. If you remember, in like week two of our series, there was a story between uh, Philip bringing his friend Nathaniel to meet Jesus. Do you remember that story? And uh, Nathaniel... Um, had some issues and, and different things. And, and Philip says, we found the Messiah and he brings him to Jesus. And he's like, how do I know? And Jesus says, when I saw you under the fig tree. Do you remember that? And Nathaniel's eyes were open when Jesus said he saw him under the fig tree. And look what Nathaniel says. It's kind of an odd thing, kind of random, just in the first chapter of John. John chapter one, verse 48. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus answered, Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. So all throughout Jesus's ministry, all throughout his life, he's being declared the king and he's constantly talking about his kingdom. Like constantly. And, and we don't really talk a whole lot about that because again, we live in America and we have presidents. We don't really have kings, so we don't really understand kings and kingdoms and all these different things, but he's constantly talking about his kingdom. In fact, just in the gospel accounts, the word kingdom shows up like over 126 times. It's all throughout. So what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? If I could define it for you, it's this. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God. Not like rain, like we just experienced, like a downpour of rain. R-E-I-G-N, rain, right? That is what we are talking about here. So that means that the kingdom of God is not, it's not a place, it's not a location. Like we're simple in our thinking. We think of like, well, it has to be located in a certain area. No, it's, it's not a location. It's everywhere. It's all of creation. It's all the cosmos is the kingdom of God. And also the kingdom is not the church, the kingdom of God is not the church. It's not, it's not a people. 
His reign establishes the church for sure, and we're thankful for that, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's actively reigning and ruling over all of creation. Revelation 21, five, that he's making all things new, right? Not just the church. He's making all things that are broken. He's making all things new. So that means this, the kingdom is bigger than you. <laughs> like, the kingdom is bigger than you. There's an Old Testament professor named Richard Pratt. He's, he says this about how we kind of make this whole thing about us. We make it all, we're, we're kind of selfish in that. He says this, we think that Jesus came to forgive our sin, to make our souls sparkle, to sprinkle us with peace and joy so that we can sprout wings when we die, grab a harp, and join the eternal choir. <laughs> like he's being humorous there, but what he's saying is somehow we make all of this about us. Like we make it all about us. We're so self-focused. Why? Because we're citizens of the kingdom of the world first. Like we're captive of that selfishness. And Jesus' redemptive work is not all about me. We certainly praise God for the salvation and the redemption that he brings to us, but his kingdom is primarily about his reign. It's about him. It's about the, it's about the king. It's not about your feelings or your preferences or your happiness. It's all about King Jesus his redemptive work in all of creation, making all things new. Again, Revelation 21, 5. And so you are saved to be a part of that kingdom and to join him in his redemptive work of all of creation. If you miss that, well, then you'll make this whole thing just about you. And it becomes very small. And it becomes about your preferences and your time that you can maybe throw a little bit out for Jesus and things like that. It's not about you. His kingdom is bigger than you, right? So the kingdom is about the reign and rule of God. And also something you need to know is the kingdom of God is both now and not yet, okay? <laughs> so let's wrap our mind around that. It is both now and not yet. It's both of those things. So, how it, it, so, so it's now. The reign of God is here now. Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, says the kingdom is in your midst currently. Like it's here. He's, he's ushered in his reign and rule now. And he tells us in Matthew 6, that we should seek the kingdom of God. Like actively, ongoing, seek the kingdom of God, right? But we also know that the reign of God, the rule of God is not fully here yet. It's not because we don't visibly see King Jesus right now, do we? Like he, one day we will and he's coming, but right now he tells us in the, in the Lord's prayer that we are to be praying what? Pray for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Basically, we pray this right now today. We're praying, God, bring your rule and your reign here completely and fully. Like this world is broken, full of selfishness. The kingdom of the world is broken and we're praying, God, that your kingdom would come fully. Like we've experienced it, we've tasted it in Jesus, but we want it fully here on this earth. So it is both. He is actively reigning and redeeming now and one day his kingdom will be completed in full. Make sense? That's the kingdom of God. That's what he means by the kingdom of God. Now, go back to the conversation with Pilate. Back to the conversation with Pilate. Now he's standing on trial, and Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. 
not of this world. He doesn't say my kingdom is not from this world, like it's some kind of alien, other life form type of thing. He says my kingdom is not of this world, meaning we're cut from a different cloth, but we're both here together, right? He said in John chapter 17, praying for his disciples, that I'm praying that, that they would be in the world, but not of the world. And he's saying the same thing here, that my kingdom is not of the world. What he means is my kingdom is different from the kingdom of the world. Again, he's comparing the two. So how is his kingdom different? If the kingdom of the world is built on aggression and lies, the kingdom of God is built on peace and truth. That's what he says in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, this is kind of how he proves that it's not, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. What he means is, is I'm standing here bound in shackles before you, and if I were just an earthly king, like you're accusing me of, if I were just an earthly king trying to lead an insurrection, well, I would have an army of people trying their best to beat down the doors and get me out of here. But that's not taking place because my kingdom is different. My kingdom is built on peace. Think about what he just did with uh, Peter in the arrest scene when Peter whacks off the dude's ear, and Jesus is like, we're not gonna do that. My kingdom is different. It's built on peace. It's also built on truth, verse 37. Jesus replied, I was born for this and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So his kingdom is built on peace and truth. And there's probably a lot of other things that we could say if we were gonna fully define what his kingdom is built upon. But in this text, we see peace and truth. And maybe the biggest difference is his kingdom is selfless. Like the kingdom of the world is, is selfish Jesus' kingdom is, is selfless. I mean, think about it. Jesus humbles himself to the point of a servant, steps out of heaven, comes to this earth, puts on skin and bone, and lives like us. He comes to serve, not to be served, right? Here, he's, he's mocked, he's beaten, he's tortured, he's killed. He's the king who, who dies for the protection of his people. What other king does that? What other king does that? Up earlier, like what we talked about last week, when Jesus uh, speaks for his followers and says, you're looking for me, let them go. No, the king does that. If it's an earthly king, they let all of their followers die trying to protect him, right? The mantra is God save the king. That's what they were saying yesterday in England, right? God save the king, why? We put our lives on the line for the king. And here, the difference is his kingdom is upside down. The king puts his life on the line for his his people. He does all of this to establish a new kingdom. And that's where the gospel breaks in. Gospel is a word that means good news. And it was always specifically about the good news of a new king, one who's reigning and ruling and making all things new. It's about a new king. And this new king that invites us in. People who are born captives, people who are born citizens of the kingdom of the world, this new king ushers us in. He invites us in. The first words that he preaches in Matthew chapter four, Jesus says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Like it's the first things out of his mouth. Like, repent, my kingdom is here. I want you in, like, in, you're invited in. Repent, turn to me. He tells Nicodemus in John chapter 
Three, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Like, there's this invitation that comes up over and over again whenever we're talking about the kingdom of God that Jesus himself is inviting us in to the kingdom. And you need to know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you stand in opposition to the king of all creation. And just like standing in opposition to Caesar or some kind of earthly king, that's not going to end well for you. See, we are born, again, we're born as captives, we're born as citizens to the kingdom of the world. But the good news about the new king who's come is he invites us into the kingdom of God. How does he do that? Because the king himself came and died in your place. Your sin separates you from God. Your sin makes you a captive of this world that's, that's built on aggression and lies and selfishness and sin. But the king himself comes and he offers himself on a Roman cross, dies in your place, raises from the dead to offer you life so that you could repent and believe and become a citizen of the kingdom. Right? So that's the invitation of Jesus. That's what he keeps saying. Every time he references the kingdom, he's saying, repent, believe, be born again, trust. And I would encourage you to do that this morning too if you don't, if you don't know him. You're invited in to bow before King Jesus. So as we close, I wanna, I wanna talk just for a second about what does it look like to, to live as a citizen of his kingdom? Like if you've trusted him, your citizenship has been moved from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. So what does it look like to live as a citizen of that kingdom? So again, this weekend, uh, England, the coronation of a new king. Um, I, I started kind of wondering, like, what, is, what are the actual implications of this coronation? Like, what, is, what does it mean? And for us in America, it means basically nothing, right? It means basically nothing for us. And honestly, for the people in England, it doesn't really mean a whole lot for them either. I started kind of looking up what this king can actually do. So King Charles now must politically remain neutral. Parliament makes all the rules. They make all the laws. The king is just a figurehead, and he has to stamp some approval on some stuff, but he is required to, to remain politically neutral, meaning he can't choose a side. He just stamps his little thing, right? Not only politically, but also just kind of formally, like his, his, his duties as king are, are basically just uh, representational. Take some trips. He hosts some important people from other countries, that kind of thing. That's what he does. I did read, I thought this was interesting. He does have a few unique legal privileges. Uh, from the official royal website, it says this, that the king, quote, retains the right to claim ownership of any unmarked mute swan swimming in open waters. So that's cool. He also claims dominion over all whales, sturgeons, and dolphins in the waters around England and Wales. So that's what he can do. For us, it means nothing. 
right? It means nothing. But when a new president of the United States takes his oath and stands on the steps of the Capitol, marches down Pennsylvania Avenue into the White House, that has some serious ramifications for our life, doesn't it? Some stuff's probably gonna change. Why? Different king, different kingdom. And so for us, what, is it, what does it mean to be a citizen of, of Christ's kingdom? Well, Pilate, he sarcastically asked two questions that I think ironically are questions that you and I ask as well, if we wanna know what it means to be a citizen of this kingdom. Pilate asked, are you the king and what is truth? Are you the king? And the answer to that is yes, he is. Revelation 19, 16 says he is the king of kings. He, he wears a, a robe and on his thigh it says king of kings and lord of lords. That's who he is. And when you trust him, you're ushered into the new kingdom, the kingdom of God, and he's the king. And by default, that means you're not. <laughs> Isn't that free? Like he's the king. You're not the king. He has all authority, all power. And what that means is my trust is in him. Whatever else is going on, he's on his throne. My trust is in, in him. My decisions are shaped by my allegiance to the king. My future is secured in the reality that he is reigning and will reign for all of eternity. So we ask, are you the king? And when you decide and declare, yes, he is, well, that has huge implications for your life. He's the king. And then you ask, what is truth? What is truth? And Jesus says in John 14, 6, that he is the truth. And so it's ironic. Pilate standing there before the truth, asking what is truth? And Jesus is truth and goodness, and it's all found in him. No matter what the world says, as citizens of his kingdom, we follow his truth and his ways and his word. Because the kingdom of this world is aggressive and they are liars. I mean, think about all the ways right now that truth is under attack in our world. It's just under attack and it's easy to turn on the news or flip on social media or, or something like that and just kind of see all that's going on and get anxious and get worried about all the details and everything that's happening in our world and just begin to think, man, it's just, it's all getting worse. And I just wanna remind you that the king is on his throne, reigning and ruling, making all things new, making all things new. And so when you live with eyes set on the kingdom of God, well, it fights back against the silliness of this world. Like we're not afraid of this world. Sure, it's crazy, it's scary. We're not afraid, we don't cower back. We don't just hide in our church or in our small group or in our upward basketball league or something like that. Like we, we don't just hide away from the world and protect those that we love from it. No, we, we advance into this world knowing that Jesus is reigning and ruling, that he's making all things new. And as citizens of that kingdom, we join him in his redemptive work. Like, do you see the weight, the magnitude of what you're a part of? kingdom's not about you, it's about him, and it's about his reign. Don't allow casual church attendance and just taking some notes during church to be the thing that defines your Christian walk. It's bigger than that. 
Jesus didn't stand before Pilate. He didn't suffer. He didn't die just so that you can have a free ticket to heaven. You are saved to be a citizen of his kingdom and at work with him in the advancement of his kingdom in this world because he's a different king of a different kingdom. And for us, that changes everything. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.